0: Welcome to Scheduled for Two Falls with Kieran and Nile, the wrestling podcast where we break down the industry one topic at a time.
1: Yo, monkeys, it's me. It's DDP. And you, monkeys, right now. You're listening to one of the greatest wrestling podcasts of all time. I'm talking about scheduled for two falls with my boys, Kieran and Niall. Bang!
0: Hello, Niall. Welcome back to Scheduled for Two Falls. Two Falls. Beautiful. Niall, how was your week? Good week, on. How was your week? My week was pretty good as well, Niall, because um, would you believe last week we got a little bit of a a hint that we might be able to mix up this episode, go a little bit off-piste, and interview a genuine bona fide legend of both pro-wrestling and MMA. Tell me more, Ciarán. I'm intrigued. We interviewed UFC Hall of Famer, former WWE IC Champion, former WWE Tag Team Champion, Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer, recently inducted by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like three weeks ago. And he has an Impact Wrestling World Title fight tomorrow night I'm talking Ken Shamrock, Niall. The world's most dangerous man, Kieran. Yes, uh, we are uh, lucky to have been dealt with an exclusive. Let's just say Impact Wrestling contacted us. And yeah. They wanted to get a bit yeah. of hype around this world title match tomorrow night. Uh, but no, look, we had an interview with Ken Shamrock. We're really excited to get it out there as quickly as possible. So this is Niall and Kieran speak to Ken Shamrock
1: earlier tonight ladies and gentlemen live on access tv it was countdown to glory the hour before bound for glory here tonight a very special night for the world's most dangerous man ken shamrock as he was inducted into the impact wrestling hall of fame by none other than dwayne the rock johnson my friend my brother congratulations on uh the induction uh, into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. I'm extremely proud of you. And thank you so much for the memories. Thank you so much for the sweat equity. And uh, and thank you for being just an awesome dude, man, at a time when I really needed it in my career. I really appreciate it. Very proud of you. Enjoy this and um, And you got some Terramana tequila, brother, coming for you. (laughs) And I want you to enjoy it. Congratulations again, Kenny, world's most dangerous man, uh, inducted into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we are going to induct our first two UFC Hall of Fame members. Please welcome these two UFC warriors as they come to the octagon. And now, coming to the Octagon, the world's most dangerous man, Ken
0: Shamrock! We first met the world's most dangerous man in Denver, Colorado. McNeedle's Arena, in November of 1993. A multiple UFC champion and still a present-day champion in the minds and hearts of all. We honor and welcome our other inaugural member of the UFC Hall of Fame. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, Ken Shamrock.
2: They're all on the edge of their seats. Well there's a couple of seats And the rock now. That could do it. The Hudson might get it done. Oh. No. That referee stopped that count. The King of the Ring Championship. oh along the that. line here. Now Rocky's frustrated. Now don't blame him. Don't want to be stupid and get yourself disqualified. I would have already counted this. Oh, look out. Oh! Shamrock, Shamrock. There it is. a lot. It's a lot. He's screaming like a
1: girl. Look at him. Rocky Maivia is this screaming is like a broad. This is it. Bring it. He taps.
2: operating on just one wheel the effects of the ankle lock showing listen to the crowd chanting let's go shamrock oh Oh, man shamrock walked right into the big move he motions for the choke slam he's got him the bottle. shamrock
1: in trouble
0: All right, we're here uh, live with one of the greatest performers, both in professional wrestling and a UFC Hall of Famer, Ken Shamrock. Ken, it is an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here on the show.
1: I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you.
0: Ken, just to get started there, I'm very interested
2: in your early career and kind of your transition from uh, pro wrestling into MMA with legends like Suzuki and Fanaki uh, when you moved from you kind of pro wrestling in Japan, into Pancras and so on. I have a theory that uh, Ken Shamrock's 93 to 95 might be the best run of any fighter in the history of MMA. Uh, a lot of people will talk about Conor McGregor in 2015-16, um, Ronda Rousey, 13-14. How would you rate Ken Shamrock's
1: 1993 to 1995? Well, if I'm a historian and and I'm looking at all the all the stuff that's involved with being successful um, I would have to say and I'm not being you know you know maybe i'm a little bit because it's me but but when i look at what the fighters had to do during those times as opposed to what they have now um, we were making stuff up i mean we did not have a game plan we didn't have a way of training there was no format. Um, and then you would fight sometimes. I mean, I, I literally fought, you know, uh, four times in one weekend. Um, and then, you know, uh, was it six times in one month or six weeks? Um, so it was, it was a wild, wild west. And, and it was bare knuckle. And it was a lot of times anything goes. And then you would go into another one where, you know, there was some, some restrictions. Uh, but the skill sets were, were very high. Um, and there was, like I said, there was no really training program that you could do to get ready for any of this stuff. Uh, and so each time that you went in there, it was a challenge to figure out, um, to make, to, to, to win a fight or to win a match. Um, I remember going from the UFC into the, um, uh, Pankers organization. You know, I, I started Pancras. I was doing well there, became the champion. Then I jumped over into UFC. I started fighting there. Uh, ran into Hoist Gracie, which was something I didn't expect, uh, and had to retrain myself to go in and beat a guy that had 25 years of experience and then 50 years of family experience. And they've been planning this kind of fight for years, taking fights in their dojo to get ready for something like this so that they can showcase their skills as being the best in the world. And then walking into this blindly like a lot of us did, uh, not understanding how it really, really works. Like none of us have really been exposed to something this real. And then to see where I went after one fight uh, going in there, um, you know, I beat Patrick Smith and I got caught with that gee and, and it was completely illegal. unexpected. Well, I mean, whatever, <laughs> but – but it was illegal only because they took my shoes away. That's yeah. what made it illegal because they were, <laughs> they basically, they, they leaned the fight in their, in their favor, taking away any of my footing that I might've have. If they would have left it the same, then there's nothing illegal. Right. But because of that, they, they did. And they, yep. and they took tape off hands and like boxers or, or strikers they wrapped their hands, which was also a disadvantage. So there was a lot of that stuff going on, but I'm just saying that learning curve, Um, that we had to go through as opposed to what fighters have to do nowadays where there's all these different ways of training and getting ready and understanding Um, it was definitely a mountain to climb
0: they worked the bracket didn't they against you ken that time as well (laughs) they they ran the first round the first side first so they got plenty rest in between ken shamrock arriving
1: yeah and and they did a lot of studying on me too because i had a lot of footage out there you know i think i had four, four fights or something like three or four fights, uh, that they could actually look at. Um, and really only a couple of, you know, like I said, three or four fights of experience really when it came to, but nothing in, in what these, that, what the Gracies were doing. And I'm not saying anything bad because I love what they did. They brought it in here. And if I was on that side of the fence, I'd have done the same thing. I'd have been making sure that if I'm going to showcase my guys, I'm going to make sure I got all the, advantage in the world to make sure we don't fall on our faces. We're putting a lot of money into this thing. So it's nothing – I don't hate them for doing that. But I think what bothers me the most was that when they said that it was no rules, uh, anything goes, they did not that, – that's an actual fact, that they did not allow that to happen on uh, both ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like one of the most significant things for me is that um, when it comes your time to go into the Hall of Fame, that you do go in with high stressy. And I think that kind of shows uh, the importance of your early rivalry in terms of building the promotion. How significant do you think that rivalry was, I suppose, in kind of creating the next step for the UFC? I
1: think it was very important because I think that if uh, if there's no rivalry, um, I think then you start having more people having issues with the way that, the organization was put together, how it was, you know, people were favored, Gracie were favored on the way that they were leaning towards putting different rule sets in when there were supposed to be no rules. Um, I think it would have been more of a problem. But I think because that – I think that the, uh, uh, the American people <laughs> um, actually had somebody that they could look at and go, wait a minute, uh, you know, we, we have somebody that we can look at and go, hey, we want this guy to win. Um, And I became a favorite very quickly, even after I had lost to him um, that I had quickly understood like, Hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm not the second best. I'm the third, best I didn't get into the finals, but I think it was pretty clear that uh, if things were, because as the second fight went, and I think we've seen how that went, if things would have been even like they were supposed to be, uh, we would have seen more of something like that. And I, and I think that then, it, at least in my opinion, it would have been so much more exciting to watch during those times. Uh, but unfortunately it, it, it didn't, you know, they took away mm-hmm. my shoes. It was very difficult for me to move uh, on a slippery mat, not had ever been on one before without having those shoes. And of course they understand that. And fighters know too. I mean, today's a little different because everybody fights without them. So they're kind of like, what are you talking about? That's just normal. But if, if, you, if you tell a boxer to take his shoes off and go in and box, he'll tell you, <laughs> you lose a lot of leverage.
2: Especially when there's like 15 guys sweating on the mat before you even get there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a slip. It's really a, When you're used to having wrestling shoes, which is what I had always, even in wrestling and, and, and even fighting, it's what I wore. And then to have them taken away that, that the day before where you don't even get a chance to even know what it feels like, I mean, it just takes away speed and leverage and, and uh, balance. It's just a lot of stuff goes out the window. So um, it was smart on their part. I mean, you, I mean, it was. You know, I mean, you either fought or they told you, well, if you don't like it, you know, don't have to fight. And of course, we were all there to fight. Nobody was going to back out. But but let's be honest. Let's be truthful. Uh, when this when things are being told in the history of the UFC and of those those times, that don't hide that because it's it is truly a fact that it wasn't no rules. It was rules that they put in that favored them. And let's not, let's not say that 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 didn't happen because we, we all know that that was a fact and it did happen.
0: Hmm.
2: I think like, you know, a lot of people at the time didn't really know that um, UFC was basically set up as a showcase for Gressy Jiu Jitsu. Uh, And then, but what I what I find interesting is that you came out of the the first Gracie fight probably a much bigger star than you went in. You right. came out as kind of a superstar with this momentum behind you. Only a couple of years later, then you get this, or I I don't know how this happened, and I think that's kind of my next question is, how did the whole WWF WWE, WWE deal get set up in the first place? With you transitioning over?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, I think um, anybody that uh, remembers how difficult it was um once the UFC started gaining traction in the pay-per-view market uh they were being attacked by the um athletic commission boxing commission you know one and the same at the time and uh and there was a lot of politicians trying to make names for themselves because they were connected to boxing Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were trying to take this this thing that was starting to become very popular and trying to squash it and put regulations and rules in there that just wouldn't work for this type of an event. And so every single town they went to, they were fighting and trying to go to court to keep the, 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 the show on. And it took a lot of money. And so when it came time for me to, to redo my contract, uh, I was, you know, we had literally discussed something that would have been a fair, Uh, fair pay for me uh, and being under a contract, when that time came, they weren't able to pay it. And um, so we had a discussion, and it wasn't wasn't unfriendly. Bob Myrits and myself had a discussion. There's no way I could have taken care of the group home for kids that I had and the training facilities and the fighter's house, and then, of course, my home. I couldn't take care of all these things that I had built because of what I was doing. And so therefore I had to sacrifice things that I was doing in order to keep other people's dreams and lives, uh, alive. And so I made that sacrifice to go into pro wrestling, uh, because it was the only way that I thought that I could use what I had, had learned over the years and apply it into something that would still keep me doing different types of submissions and involved in some sort of, um, Uh, entertainment value with the fans so I would stay out there and so I made that sacrifice and fortunately for me um, I fell in love with it I mean I really really enjoyed it once I got into it it was it was phenomenal I had experienced it before on a lower level early on in my career but wwe it was
0: a different story and a lot of people don't know that that you transitioned into mma from pro wrestling that that's where you actually started so when you arrived over in the wwe and your first introduction to many fans and to us across the the atlantic ocean here in ireland was your refereeing bret hart and steve austin uh, at wrestlemania i i guess could you talk us through a little bit of that build-up uh ken and if Brett and Steve you know, gave you much instruction ahead of the match or whether they knew that you had the background already or, or how was, you know, how did that uh, progress?
1: No, I don't think anybody realized I came from pro wrestling early on. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it when I went into it. I, I had no thought that people wouldn't have known, right? I just kind of started out the way I went, but it was, I think it was 10 years or eight or 10 years that I'd been away. You know, I would touched anything like that. And, so going back into it, I remember um, they were going to have this match between, you know, Bret Hart and Stone Cold. And I remember going into this match and I was like, ah, I just don't know how I'm going to go from where I was just at and then walk into this match and pretend these guys are fighters <laughs> and referee this match and make try to make it real when, you know, I've been into press, pro wrestling and now I'm into this world and it's like, man, it's night and day, I can't. I don't know how to do this. And so I remember going in there and I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's just roll with it. See what happens and we'll just go with it and see what happens. And those guys really just told me to just go in there and do what you do. You know, like if you were to go in there and, and referee a, a fight that you were doing or something like that, I kind of my head going, yeah, right. <laughs> like I mean, nothing, nothing like a real <laughs> fight, man, come on. So I get into the match and it's probably five minutes into this match I'm lost. I'm literally in this thing going, dude, I wasn't even a thought in my head about it being fake. I mean, they did so well. Like they, they beat the heck out of one another. And I was refereeing it just as I was, if it was a fight and it, and it literally felt that way to me. Like I was in there doing this thing and it just all was so easy because it felt like I was right back in the, on the, uh, in the cage with these guys fighting. So it was a tremendous match. Those guys did a tremendous job. They sacrificed their bodies and they put it all out there. And I think, in my opinion, that changed the direction pro wrestling was going at the time to where it was flipping your hair back and cutting a promo and making sure you had a tan to this downright dirty, badass fighting.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, the Bird you, is Stone you, Cold. You,
2: yeah, and like Ken, the Karen Chenrock pro wrestling character fitted perfectly into what came next. Um, our last episode, we, we recently finished an episode on Kurt Angle and we kind of looked at his rookie year and we asked the question, well, was that the greatest rookie year in pro wrestling? But as we were doing it, your name kept coming up as another guy whose first year at WWE was just phenomenal. Um, and, you know, the two of you were kind of similar in style, but you used the ankle lock eventually for your um, submission finishers. But, like, your first year push was incredible. What was that like behind the scenes and kind of was there any bookers who were like in your corner supporting you in terms of your push?
1: I think that when I came in, I know JR was a huge fan. I know Vince was a huge fan of it. I know um, Undertaker. It just seemed like everybody there was like, oh, yeah, you know what? This is right on. This is cool. I don't think there was nobody really there other than, you know, one or two, but I think that was just more of a, of it, uh, maybe something that they had going on with themselves, not anything to do with me or anything that was happening at the time. Um, and I don't even know that for sure. Cause I've never really got to really sit down and really talk and find out why that person had an issue with me. Um, but it, everyone, I mean, from the top down just felt like they were all excited to see where it would go. And I think it was even more so um, after I had my match with uh, Vader, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, they, they saw it loud, you know, a little bit aggressive, but I think after the Vader match, it was like, oh, this, this guy's going to, this guy could be here for a while, right? And so I think after that, I think people were excited to see where, what we could do with it. But I also know that there was a lot of trust I had to build going forward because here I was, this guy that came out of the shooter world where I was legit and, 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 and I could hurt them uh, if, if I don't do something right, just like anybody can at pro wrestling. If you're not on page, something you could hurt somebody and so um it took it took me some time to work with each individual to be able to uh you know shut my mouth and open my ears and and keep my eyes open and and to learn uh how this was going to be done and how i would be the most effective um using what i do uh into this pro wrestling world and so it was a fun it was really a fun journey because a lot everybody that i worked with like i said except for one or two um was just really awesome, and it was a great time, and I think pro wrestling at that time was awesome because, I mean, it seemed like we had a lot of people there that were all um, just wanting things to go well, and everybody was challenging one another, but not in a way to where you wanted to see them do bad. You wanted to keep trying to up your game to challenge them more.
0: Mm. Big Vader as well, if you were still trying to learn the ropes a little bit or try to get yourself back, back in. No better man to take a stiff shot or give it right back to you.
1: Yeah, Vader was a tough dude, man. And when he when they put me with him, I already knew him from Japan, so I knew going in there that, you know, I'm, it's, he's not a, he's not he's not a cupcake, right? So we went in there, and I'd stiffed him a couple of times, didn't know it, um, and I remember getting a couple stiff ones back. <laughs> so so, and even then, when he was hitting me stiff, I was thinking until after we we talked about it, but I was just thinking that's that's wrestling, right? Like, okay, this is the this is the big league, right? Yeah. Um, I was down in the little league before this, but now this is the big league. This is where guys, they, they don't play around. And so I'm in there doing this, thinking this is pro wrestling. <laughs> and we had a great match, and I was thinking, man, that was awesome. Like, this is great. Come to find out, I'd broken his nose. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, and he had said, dude, it, you know, that was great. He said, you said, you did a great job first time. It was awesome. He said, but. Um, if you were in there with somebody else, it, it, it wouldn't have been so good. He said, we, you've got to learn to kind of now learn a little bit less of the aggressiveness. So Bret Hart, same thing, came up to me. Great match. Uh, but we made some adjustments. But it gave me a, a foundation of, of where I was at because me being a real fighter didn't have the understanding anymore about that, that wrestling likeness. I, I thought when we were in there that That we were, this was good, right? But I, but and it was, but I couldn't work like that with everybody. Mm -hmm. So I had to really learn how to back it up a little bit too, and not be so aggressive and so stiff uh, with other people. And the guys like Bret Hart or, or Stone Cold or some of these other guys were fine, but there was a couple other guys in there where you had to learn, hey, you know, these guys you can, these guys you can't. And so, you know, that was an education I had to learn. And be able to get their trust because in wrestling, it's not, it's not about one or two guys that you have great matches with. If you're going to be successful in pro wrestling, you've got to be able to work with everybody. And uh, that's something I really, really stressed uh, real hard to try to do.
0: Yeah, well, and obviously they they started to trust you pretty quickly that you could yeah. and that you had learned because um, the following June, I, I think it was, you would be winning the King of the Ring, which would be a huge stepping stone for, I mean, for so many professional wrestlers to greatness and to the main event picture. Uh, and you fought The Rock in the final, and obviously The Rock has recently given you a great shout out to your Hall of Fame uh, Impact Wrestling, which uh, didn't go unnoticed by by everyone around the world. <laughs> um, but Could you talk us through a little bit to the lead up of that event? Because King of the ring at the time was seen as a huge thing. And did it seem like that to you? Did you, did you, did it matter? You know, I don't think it's talked about a lot or I don't think you've spoken about it a lot.
1: Yeah. Leading up to that, it was, it was, was, I was kind of so focused on, on doing what I needed to do to be good. Right. But I was dealing with a lot of other stuff outside the ring too, because I had left pro wrestling or left the MMA world and, I had fighters and fighters' houses and group homes for kids, at-risk kids. So there was a lot of stuff going on even with my marriage at the time because I was gone so much now. It was a lot more than, than fighting, right? And there was so much going on, and we were moving so fast, and I was rising so fast that it was like I was moving up and I was embracing this world that I literally fell in love with, and yet I was leaving behind this, this other world that made me this person to be able to achieve this. And I, 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 I was almost felt like I was being ripped in half. Like the, this other part of me that was my foundation is being ripped, ripped away from me, uh, which was my family, my fighters, my, 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 fans, everybody that was in this MMA world that were all hammering me for leaving MMA and going into pro wrestling. And so there was a lot of stuff going on. And so I started to just focus on pro wrestling. And of course I, Got into some other things to try to do during my free time that weren't the the best things to do. But, you know, those are things that a lot of people do when they try to bury the pain or the hurt or the loneliness uh, when you're going through all these kinds of things. But when I was at pro wrestling and pro wrestling, um, I was achieving a lot. And and yet I wasn't even trying. I wasn't even thinking about how special it was and what I was doing. Right. Because I took every moment. Uh, as being the last moment and like i literally just didn't even look ahead or behind me and i was so locked in on just the wrestling ring and what we were doing didn't take time to enjoy it or even take time to even think about how great this was um until later on so now i see it i see all the doors that were opening i see you know um you know the 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 journey that that i was able to travel to be able to have the success that i had and to do things that i don't think uh can be done again you know i mean i just don't know uh that that can happen because i did it first you know and i i trailblazed and i i was i was the one blocking all the hate and all the other things that came with the The stepping out of the comfortable zone and challenging myself into something different and people looking at it. And you know, when you do those things, there are a lot of people that are going to try to get you to fall or try to get you to see you to fail. And they're going to keep hammering you. I'm talking about media. I'm talking about fans. um, And a lot of them just want to see you fail. And I was dealing with a lot of that. And then, of course, the struggles at home not being there and then you know the fighters that i had committed and the, the at-risk kids that i had committed to taking care of them so that they could follow their dreams having all these things and being able to be that first person to do all those things and then just see where it as is at today now i can absorb it and enjoy it
2: yeah you get to look back on that kind of crazy period with a bit of reflection and a bit of distance it probably seems amazing but when you're living through it on the road 300 and something <laughs> days a year it's tough going I was just yeah. uh, thinking Ken like you introduced some kind of different concepts to WWE and you probably don't really get the, the credit you deserve for that um, and I, we were thinking myself Kiran we were talking earlier about the, like your lines then matches with own Hart and did you come up with that concept or was that floated to you and you kind of went with it from there
1: no. And that's, you know, I, I you know, it, it's, I own it, you know, mm. um, I own the lion's den and I own that, that, that similar thing. Um, so it was, and it was, I thought it was awesome. You know, I thought it, it, it gave people something else, you know, yeah. that that would be exciting, you know, and adding weapons in there at the top where it was now yeah. a movie, right? Like you're literally <laughs> watching this movie live. Um, so it was very creative and, and, and I was a part of that creativity and, uh, it was, it was awesome to put, it was awesome to even put the matches together too, because it wasn't bouncing off the ropes, going off the top rope or going outside where you could take a break. Um, it was in there and, and there was no getting out. There was no break. Uh, there wasn't a lot of space and you couldn't just bounce off things or, or slide under a rope or anything like that. It was just a constant fight. And, uh. So it was exciting and, and uh, something that you know I was a, I was a part of creating.
2: Yeah, and your first match, your first lines, then match was with Owen Hart, a guy who we think is a massive legend of uh, pro wrestling. What was it like
1: working with him? He was he's he's a guy that I I I think not think I know that would have um, would have been special in the world of pro wrestling. If he had been able to stay around longer, um, he was just scratching the surface. Uh, I think a lot of it was just like his his brother Brett, where Brett was around for a long time and he was always kind of that just mid Carter, and you know, and every now and then he would move up a little bit, but never really broke through. And then of course he got his shot and with Stone Cold, and and then all of a sudden he just became hot, uh, just like Stone Cold was. And I believe that was what Owen was doing. I think Owen was just scratching the surface. He had all the skills. He had the mindset. He he had the strategy. um, And he had the personality. Um, So, And he had the mic skills. And he had everything. And I think all it was was just a matter of time before he would have been pushed and thrust into that spotlight. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he was was cut short. So that didn't happen. But he was a special person. I think that um, he was a good one. And, and we and we and the wrestling world lost a good
0: one. Yeah. I th- Ken, you're uh, you're renowned for uh, when you were younger, obviously getting in fights and never never stepping back. And anyone who challenged you, you know, you go head on. You wouldn't think twice. Uh, another man, Stu Hart, uh, was a guy who was renowned for putting people in holes that when they weren't expecting it. Uh, when you were working with Owen, was Stu around? Did he did he try putting a hole? Any little <laughs> grapple between the pair of you?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I was. Uh, I guess I was uh, his uh, birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> I was training down there with Brett when I was getting ready for, for I believe it was Vader. Uh, and so I was, I was, I was in Calgary and I was training there with him and, and Owen and we would get ready for it. And his dad's birthday was around that time. And so I remember going upstairs and, and his, his dad was, you know, a huge shooter. And uh, so he was excited to, to meet me. And of course, you know, I'm kind of numb. Like, dude, this is this this is the real deal here. This is the original gangster. <laughs> and uh, so I remember shaking his hand, and about five not five seconds later, I'm on my knees, going ow! Like he literally <laughs> he literally I shook his hand, he literally put me in this friggin' armbar, a wrist lock, or whatever the heck it was. <laughs> right when I shook his hand, he was like, "Hey, how does this feel?" I was like, "Ouch! Yeah, that works." <laughs> that was my first meeting with him. Was he put me in a submission sitting down? <laughs>
0: Unreal. Unreal! That's great. That's great. And yeah. um, back to the, your WWE. To say the storyline for following your your progression. You turned heel at the end of '98, and you won another tournament. This time to win the Intercontinental title, which was kind of renowned as the worker's title. Uh, so that might have been a little bit of a, a nod to how well you'd, um, you'd got on in the last 12 months. You'd also win the tag title soon after. Were you happy to turn heel here? And you know, where did you see the Ken Shamrock character going at this point? Because the titles on paper are wonderful, but you know, the drawback is you've become a cog in the kind of Vince McMahon large corporation stable. So is, is it kind of putting brakes on your push or what did you think at the time or can you remember?
1: Yeah, there was a lot going on during that time, you know. Um, Yeah, and a lot of things happening within the organization. You know, the Bret Hart thing um, was Mm -hmm. was bad deal, and yeah, there was just like I said, it was it it was a lot of stuff going on. And I think the 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 start of it had to be um, me getting lonely, like literally feeling like. The thing that made me who I was was being was being ripped away from me. Uh, my family was being ripped away. My my legacy was being ripped away in the MMA world. Uh, my fans were being ripped away, even though I was gaining new fans, hmm. and other fans were starting to come over. They were starting to accept it, but not not fully. Right? They were still skeptical. Um, and it took years for that to even start being accepted. Even when I was in there, even though people were still watching it and they were fans it, they still weren't willing to admit it. Right. That I, I made the right move. Um, and so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of going on. And, and I was doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. Uh, you know, bad decisions, uh, bad choices on my part. Um, but still, I was still producing in the ring. I was still doing what I needed to do there. It was just the times where I was not doing anything that, uh, it started to, to affect me. And so I made bad decisions and bad choices. And, and, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, Jr a lot to thank for pulling me aside at times and telling me that I'm better than that. So I appreciate him for that because he did, he wasn't afraid to tell me, Hey, you're slipping up kid. You know, you're better than that. So, appreciated that. But yes, yeah, so like I said, when it when, when you're talking about that, that there, there was a, there was a lot of stuff that people don't see. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had to make a decision, um, of whether or not I keep going down this path, um, with things that are happening to me at that time. Um, not feeling like I'm a part of what's going on and, uh, and not knowing how pro wrestling works, because I know JR mentioned a lot of times that if I had stuck around, I'd have been carrying the strap but I didn't know how it worked. You know, I didn't know guys would, uh, every now and then take a, take a couple dives and, 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 you know, be away from the scene for three, four months. And then all of a sudden you're back up again. I didn't understand that. And I know through what I was going through at the time, personally, and and being lonely and depressed at what was going on within the world outside of wrestling, um, that also combined with them. Now, all of a sudden I was starting to get beat in these silly ways. Um, that I created the world's most dangerous man. They didn't create that I did. And then I felt like it was in jeopardy of being damaged. And this is my, my life moving forward. And I know that's not what was happening. I know that's not what they were doing, but, but in that moment and where I was at with everything going in my life, the only thing that I had left was me and what I had developed and what I created. And I was going to protect that. And, and so that's why those things during that time happened Uh, was a lot of stuff with my insecurities of things that were going on with my own personal life and things in there and along with what was going on within the organization at that time um, and not having the understanding of how pro wrestling truly does work you know sometimes you're not going to you're just going to get beat for a while and they're going to bring you back and and they're going to come up with a different storyline right and and maybe they were trying to find that for me. Maybe they didn't know what to do with me at that time. And so with that all being in that pile of stuff that was happening right there, I got insecure about that and started saying, wait a minute, I, I, I got into the protective mode. Like, I can't let them do this to me. I can't let them de- ruin me. I can't let them kill my name. I built it. Um, and uh, so it was, it, again, like I said, it was all of that stuff kind of piled into one. And, and I had to make some decisions. And I'm glad I did because I, like I said, it, it wasn't going very well, uh, especially with stuff going behind the scenes with the family and and my kids missing stuff and and how they were feeling towards me, and so I had to reset. I had to get back and try to fix things while I could.
2: Yeah, that kind of my next question was actually quite similar to that. It was about the um, the Ryan Shamrock storyline, but well, I think you basically answered that and with that as well in terms of how that came about and where you were at with that in your, in your mind. But I presume it was the same period and kind of the same, I suppose, like, distractions in terms of the storyline, while the in-ring work remained top class, you kind of let the storyline side of it slip with what was going on in your personal life.
1: Yes. Um, the story. You talk about the
2: storylines? The Ryan yeah, Shamrock the, story the
1: storyline. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, when you look at that, um, being lonely, Um, you know, all those things we, I just discussed about, you know, not feeling like I'm, I'm going anywhere and, Mm -hmm. you know, here I'm stuck in this contract and everything was going great for a while. And, and, and then I got all this stuff going on here now at the, behind my personal lives. Here's this beautiful young lady, uh, who was interested in me and just felt comfortable. Right. Yeah, yeah, next thing you know we're in a relationship and she's my sister supposedly in this wrestling <laughs> thing and, and, and that was the actual that was the actual next um, storyline that they wanted me to do was they wanted me to
0: no. have this <laughs>
1: incest with my sister that's why I was running around trying to save her and, and all these other things and I was like the world's most dangerous man yeah. <laughs> Wants to have sex with his own sister. And by the way, my son's name is Ryan. My legitimate oh, son's yeah. name is Ryan, and they named her Ryan. And I'm like, people are going to go, Is that his kid?
0: <laughs>
1: way too close to home. <laughs> and I was like, No, <laughs> I'm yeah, not doing that. That's crazy.
2: Man.
0: Um, so obviously went back to UFC Ken after that and um, I suppose many fans including myself and I think your WWE career is cut far too short because had you stuck around for one more year we would have had the opportunity to see you with the likes of Kurt Angle maybe a year and a half Chris Benoit Eddie Guerrero uh, eventually two years two and a half years um, maybe Brock Lesnar versus Ken Shamrock in the WWE do you feel you left too early you know I know obviously you had all the personal stuff going on but A six-month break instead of going across the UFC and then recharging, coming back, or you know, are you the type of guy that just says, "Look, move forward, always move forward."
1: Yeah, I don't. You know, only time I ever look back on anything is for for an educational purpose. Um, You know, something that I may uh, be trying to deal with with somebody else at the time, and that I've gone through it, and I can bring those things up to you know, walk them through. Uh, situations that I've gone through and how I was able to overcome those to help them overcome things they're going through. But I don't ever look back on it and say I made it wrong or or not. No, I don't say I make bad decisions, but I don't ever go back and say, man, I wish that didn't happen Uh, because I I wouldn't be where I'm at today if those things didn't happen. I mean, we're, we're, we are a product of things we do right and wrong and, and how your, your life ends up is how you deal with those things when you're in the right and the wrong, um that's how we become who we are. And so I don't. I think it's kind of silly when people thought, "Well, what, what would you have done differently?" It's like, "Well, what 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 would you have done if you could have changed something?" And it's like yeah. nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, if it maybe if you're talking about hurting somebody, like literally hurting somebody and causing their lives to be in a bad situation. Well, yeah, I don't. You could look at it and go, "Yeah, I wish that didn't happen for them," right? But as far as yourself, um, and I guess it depends on where you're at in your life too, right? I mean, you, you could not be in a good place and wish, but those aren't going to help you either. You got to look forward and try to figure out how to be better and stop focusing on things that have already happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, I'm more into the now and what's happening tomorrow, not so much in the future, but what's happening now and tomorrow.
0: Well, speaking of tomorrow, it, it would be completely remiss of us not to ask about Rich Swan. You have a world title fight tomorrow night, Ken. So this is great to have you exclusively the night before. Oh, well, you're, you're 10 a.m. I think across there. It's the evening right. for us over here uh, in Ireland and Abu Dhabi. Uh, Impact Wrestling, uh, how do you feel? I, I think I, I heard a quote from you Sick. I think it was six years ago on the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast where you said at the time that you were uh, conditioning-wise as good as the top ten percent in UFC and conditioning-wise top five percent of pro wrestling. Do you still feel that six years on, or how do you feel going into this big fight?
1: You know, I I honestly think as far as my my body and my my physical ability, I'm still in the top five percent. You know, I mean, I feel great. I did some stem cells, bioaccelerator in, in Medellin, uh, Columbia. And it was almost like this fountain of youth. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, and so I feel good now and I feel great. And when they, when they mentioned the match with rich swan, I was like, are you guys trying to get this kid killed? (laughs) I'm like, really? (laughs) Seriously? Uh, You want me to wrestle rich swan?
0: (laughs) I think we're talking like, to the new champ.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm like, okay. I mean, the kids, I, I mean, I don't have anything against Rich Swan, other than he's in the way of me getting what I want, right? And uh, he seems like a nice enough kid, man. But that's stupid. That's just stupid. <laughs> it is stupid. I mean, I'm going to beat him from one end to the other. It's not, it's not even going to be fair.
2: Brilliant. So, what well, we're saying is in 2020, Ken Shamrock is still the world's most dangerous man.
0: Oh, well,
1: in this case, yes.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we were very conscious of your time, uh, Ken. And for anybody who wants to catch that Rich Swan, Ken Shamrock world title fight uh, over at this side, it's uh, Wednesday at 10 p.m. on Free Sports. That's Sky Channel 422 and Virgin 553 or 3 a.m. Wednesday night, Impact Plus. Uh, Ken, before we let you go, um, from an Irish point of view just for a soundbite we've got Conor McGregor coming up against uh, Poirier how do you think that's going to go?
1: Boy it's hard to say you know I mean I know when I stepped away for a little while and I came back everything was so much faster so much different like it it, it was just the timing and everything that I had was gone Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not Conor McGregor was away long enough for it to make a difference I think the thing that goes in Conor's favour is that he was such a great striker. Right. Um, and his ground game was, was good. It was good. Right. Um, but his ability to strike and the instinct was what he was the best at. And so as long as he still has that, I think he wins. Right. But we won't know that until he steps in. We haven't seen him. Right. We haven't seen what he can do or, or if he slowed down at all, because it only takes a split second for you to slow down. And that's the difference between landing or getting hit with punches that you normally wouldn't get hit with and or that you would land. And so we won't know that until we see him back in there again. And if, if he is still that guy, then uh, I I think he wins no question. And then of course um, I don't want to hear any more excuses uh, of, of Conor McGregor and uh, the grizzly bear, the one that (laughs) likes to wrestle with bears. If he can (laughs) wrestle with a bear and a bear, (laughs) <laughs> it's no joke you uh, should have no problem because he already beat him once you should have no problem going against Connor I don't want to hear it anymore uh, just go away because I think that the question marks will not be in his favor if he keeps not and I understand why he does it and I understand why he's making a weight and I agree with that don't just give it to him right don't give it to Connor right away uh, because he hasn't done what he needed to to be that guy that's going to represent the world that we help build but I think Connor stayed out of trouble long enough. I think that he's put himself in the right position. If he goes in there and does what he's supposed to do in this next fight, he deserves that title shot without a question. And, and, and I think that's the only fight anybody wants to see really at this particular time that we haven't seen.
2: Excellent. Uh, Ken, any uh, plugs around your new podcast on Spotify? I listened to a lot of episodes of the last few days. It's absolutely awesome. we his most dangerous podcast. Get our fans onto it as well. Um, any other, your website or anything you want to shout out?
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, we got this podcast going out. We just signed with the Bid Network, so we'll be uh, available on 100 different channels with Roku and a lot of the other smart TVs. So we're we're really moving up, and things are doing well with the podcast. I'm excited about it because it's something I get to really meet with the fans and talk and enjoy stuff. So it's fun for me. I enjoy it had a great career. I like to share stories and we do a lot of that. So uh, it's fun. And my stories are real. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't make myself look good. <laughs> so I, I tell the truth. Uh, a lot of times you won't like me when you, those stories are over, but Hey, that was in the past. <laughs> yeah. Don't hate me for what I did in the past. Love me for what I'm doing now. <laughs> so, um, so it's a fun, it's a fun thing. We, we uh, enjoy doing that and, and uh, mixing it up with the fans there. And so anytime that you want to see or, or, or Understand what I'm up to, or what I'm doing. Go to kinshammark.com, it's got all my social networks on there, all my social platforms on there. You can go and check that out, kinshammark.com. I'm also involved with Impact Wrestling. Um, Impact Wrestling is uh, um, uh Access TV, you can check that out. I'm on there, and then, of course, the pay per views, check those out because we're on a lot of those too. It's a fun time, enjoy it. Um, Rich Swan Tuesday night tomorrow. Check that out. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. Um, also, is, too.
0: Is that already taped the Rich Swan match, or is that actually going live? Come or... on,
1: come on, man! Don't ask me that question, <laughs> man. That's not fair.
0: <laughs> he, he doesn't have a mark on his face. <laughs> well, I don't expect yeah. to have a mark. <laughs> uh,
1: so yeah, right. <laughs> so um, yeah, and then BK bare knuckle or bare knuckle boxing um something that i started because i i enjoy bare knuckle it's something i fell in love with the purity of it the the realness of it uh, everything you do is in it when it's bare knuckle it's just it's just pure and um so um we, we've we've started that we did we did a match in 2020 we went really well tried to do it again but you know uh, ran into some issues and covid hit and, so now we're waiting. So 2021, we'll be launching it again. And if you want to mm-hmm. check that out, find out what we're doing and when our next dates are going to be, go to ValorBK.com and uh, check us out there. And, uh, and that'll be coming out real soon. It's, it's a fast, fast-paced fighting. So I really enjoy it. It's pure. It's fun. And uh, that'll be coming out in 2021 again. Mm-hmm. So other than that, man, that's all I got.
0: That's a lot, Ken. Awesome. That's a lot. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute honor to have you on, Ken. Uh, we're big fans, so it's great to have an uh, absolute wrestling legend, U- UFC legend. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank you Ken. guys. May God bless. Well, how about that? The, more, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Chamrock. Uh, what a guy, Niall.
2: Kieran, an absolute inspiration.
0: Yeah, serious like- story.
2: Just, Dude is like in his mid 50s now and he's still absolutely living life to the max. I thought that was awesome.
0: Great guy. And, and I mean, hope,
2: like, you know, for our listenership that they got something new about Ken Shamrock, you know, that they, they learned a little bit more about the man himself and just fascinated listening to him speak about his kind of dual careers and his life in general and his attitude towards life today. Just like What a gentleman, like.
0: Yeah, what a journey. Uh, Niall. Shout out to the social. If you have any questions or follow-ups from today's episode, we would love to hear from you. Uh, Twitter, you can follow us on at schedule for two f one. That's the number two, number one. Our DMs are wide open. Email, you can email us at schedule for twofalls at gmail.com. That's the number two. Schedule for falls at gmail.com. Instagram Nile.
2: All letters two falls or
0: Tag at scheduled for Two Falls it's the number two. Thank you very much, Niall. So different episode today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, feedback much appreciated. Niall, I will see you next week. on. looking forward to it. Adios.
1: Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man, and you're listening to Two Falls Podcast with Kieran and Niles. Don't miss it.